Back in 2018, I saw this news story on social media about the singer slash rapper Post Malone because he had gotten um, always tired tattooed on his face just under his eyes. And the reason people were talking about it on social media is that while they didn't really like the look of the tattoo or they said, I, I'd, I'd never do that myself, I'd never get a tattoo like that myself, they said, I can relate. I can relate to always being tired. Um, and maybe you can relate. Maybe you can relate to always being tired, always needing another nap, or maybe not even really feeling physically tired and wanting a nap, but just feeling dragged, bedraggled, feeling sluggish, feeling like you have a lack of energy. Not too long ago, someone wrote about millennials and referred to them as the tired generation. And there are a whole lot of uh, cultural and social reasons for that, technological reasons, and like poor mental health and phone addiction and loneliness, which contribute to this chronic exhaustion that is often present in the latest generation. What I want to point out and what I want to talk about today is the fact that this is not new. And though there are current trends that highlight this chronic exhaustion that we feel as a people, as we, that we feel as a culture, that exhaustion and restlessness and, and weariness and anxiety, that these are things that we've had with us for a long time. I want to point out that it, this is something beyond physical fatigue. This is something beyond being emotionally tired. This is something beyond being culturally or socially or even politically exhausted. I, I want to I point out to you today that more than all of that, we are soul tired. We have a weariness in our very souls. And I think the reason for this is that when Adam and Eve were dismissed from the garden, when God let them, push them out of the garden because of their sin, of eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, God gave them a punishment. And for Adam's punishment, he said to him that you will eat by the sweat of your brow, that all of your days you will toil with struggle or suffering. And the word that's used here is literally a worrisome labor. It's a, it's a toil of suffering. It's a work of great difficulty or adversity. Now, we should be clear here that this is not saying that work is a curse. Because before the, the curse, before Adam and Eve left the garden, before that, they had responsibilities in the Garden of Eden. There was work for them to do. They had responsibilities, things that they were to do in the Garden of Eden. And so it wasn't that work itself was the curse, but rather worrisome labor or suffering toil. And with this toil, with this suffering, with this curse that God gave to Adam and Eve, this punishment that they would experience, he also gave them a promise. There was a promise that came with the punishment. And this promise was that he was putting a plan into place that would make all things right, that would bring them back to 
paradise that would bring them back to this place of reuniting with God. God gave them a punishment, but he also gave them a promised plan that one day a Savior would come and make all things right. And he asked them while they were undergoing this toil and this worrisome labor, he asked them to trust him and trust in his plan. And throughout Scripture, we see that God institutes rules or practices. He encourages us to follow patterns, holy patterns that will help us to remember, help us remember to trust him. One of the practices that God instituted was Sabbath. And Sabbath literally means to stop or to cease. It means to cease action. And it was based on the fact that on the seventh day of creation, God created the heavens and the earth in six days. And on the seventh day, he Sabbathed or he ceased from his creative action. He stopped. God created the world in six days and stopped or Sabbathed on the seventh. Now, this was important because God ceased from his work of creating the world. And now that the world had been cursed and work would be toilsome and suffering, we would be tempted to overwork. We would be tempted to work more in order to make it more like we wanted it to be. We would long for the garden, the utopia, the perfect place of peace and, and satisfaction and relationship with God. And so because we had lost that, because paradise had been lost, we would be tempted to work harder and to overachieve to make up the difference in our own strength and power. And this is foolish for two reasons. One, the difference is too great for us to make up with more hours or more days of work. Adam could not recreate the Garden of Eden simply by working harder. It wouldn't have mattered if Adam could have worked 24-7, 365, he wouldn't have been able to recreate the Garden of Eden. And we cannot recreate paradise by working harder either. Our modern world has demonstrated that even with all of the technological advances, even with all of the advances of science and modern medicine and machinery and equipment and telecommunications equipment for organizing all of these things, even with all of that at our disposal, even with more people than, than ever who have lived on the earth who are able to work on this thing, we cannot recreate utopia. It's beyond us. Doesn't matter how hard we work, how smart we work, how organized we get our labor and endeavors, we are unable to recreate utopia. So it's foolish because we cannot recreate utopia. Doesn't matter if we use all seven days of the week. This is only something that God can do in six days that we could never accomplish in seven days. You see, God can do far more with six days than we can ever do with seven and the second reason is that it's so foolish is that even if we could work all of the time and recreate utopia, we would be so worn to the bone. If we worked ourselves to the bone, we'd have nothing left to enjoy utopia with. You see, if we give our lives to toil and struggle, the things that we achieve through that toil and struggle cannot be enjoyed because we've wasted our life in the toil and struggle. We have spent ourselves up in that endeavor. God knew this. And so he instituted a pattern, a holy pattern 
of a weekly Sabbath or literally a weekly stopping, a literal ceasing every week. And there are two main passages that give us the command to practice Sabbath in the Old Testament law. The first one is in Exodus 20. Let me read that to you. It's in Exodus 20, verses 8 to 11. This is in the Ten Commandments. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work. And then he goes on to list off everyone who might be in your household who should not do any work on the Sabbath day. It includes all of your family, anyone who might be staying with you, any servants in your household. All of them should stop or cease from their labors on the seventh day. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And so in the Ten Commandments we're told to keep the Sabbath to remember the work that God did and to remember that he, Shabbat, he ceased or he stopped and rested. And so the Ten Commandments tell us to remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, to remember that God made the world in six days and then rested. But the other one in Deuteronomy chapter 5 gives us a different purpose. There's a different reason. The command is the same. The ceasing of action, the Shabbat is the same, but the, the purpose behind the command is different in this passage. Let me read it to you. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 12 to 15 say, Keep the Sabbath day to keep it holy, as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall do your labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work. And again, listing off everyone in your house, your family, any, any friends who are staying with you, servants of your household. And you are not to do any work that even your servants may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you are a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out of there by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Now, we're told that we should rest in both of those passages. We're told that we should Shabbat or cease. But the purpose is different. Because the purpose in Exodus chapter 20 is that we're remembering what God has done. We're remembering him. Remembering his great creative work and power. But Deuteronomy chapter 5 says that we should remember so that all in our household may rest. Even our servants. And we should remember that we were at once servants. We were once slaves and God has given us rest so we should give rest to others as well. You see, the purpose of the Sabbath is both to remember God and to be refreshed. And the word in Deuteronomy chapter 5 for rest, the, the rest that all in your household, even your servants may enjoy, the purpose there or the word there means to be refreshed. And so the Sabbath is for refreshing and for remembering. We are soul tired. We are tired and weary in our very souls because we have not taken time to remember and to be refreshed. We have failed to trust God and rest in God. Now, I, I know what you're thinking. I, you're probably thinking, hey, I haven't forgotten God. I, I remember the Lord. I am a believer. I would not forget God. 
you might be saying, listen, I, I take time off. I, I, I have had a great vacation this year. Every year we go uh, to the Smokies. Every year we go to Destin. Every year we go wherever. Let me point to you that what happened in Jesus' day, the culture that he walked in, it was very similar to ours. That, that Jesus walked among a group of people that would have told you definitely they believed, they remembered God, and then they kept the Sabbath like they were commanded. But they weren't refreshed, and they weren't really remembering God either. So look with me at Mark chapter 2. These are the verses that come right after the passage that we looked at last week in the message. Mark chapter 2, we'll begin reading in uh, verse 23. Now it happened that when he went through the grain fields on the Sabbath... And as they went, his disciples began to pluck the heads of the grain. Now, really important to know here, God had actually set it up that when you were going through a neighbor's field, or you were traveling, you were a, a, a sojourner, you're on a trip, that it was permissible to pluck grain with your hands. In other words, so you're going along and here's a field of grain, or here's an apple tree, you can pluck one with your hands. What you are not allowed to do is pluck it with a, a, a scythe. You couldn't go and reap your neighbor's harvest or take a basket and take all of your neighbor's trees. But to show mercy and grace to the sojourner, the person who's traveling through Israel, it was permissible to pluck grain just by your hand. And so the disciples aren't stealing here. This isn't an an issue of theft. And the Pharisees don't take issue with them taking the grain. They take issue with them taking the grain on the Sabbath day. Verse 24. And the Pharisees said to him, Look, why do they do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And Jesus responds to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and hungry and, he, and those with him? How he went into the house of God in the days of Abathar the priest, and he ate the showbread, which is not lawful to eat except for the priest, and also gave some to those who were with him. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. And then chapter 3 begins, and remember that the chapters are added later to kind of help us find where we're at so that we can read together. But in the very next verses, the very next lines, Mark tells us about Jesus going into the synagogue on the Sabbath, and there's a man there who has a withered hand. And Jesus heals the man, and the people become so upset that he has done this on the Sabbath that the Pharisees then go out and begin to plot to kill him. I want you to see just how seriously they took the Sabbath, that they didn't even feel it was appropriate to heal someone to alleviate their physical suffering on the Sabbath. And it offended them so greatly that they started planning to kill Jesus. You see, they had taken the Sabbath, this day of remembering the Lord and being refreshed in God. They had taken it and they had made it something completely different. They had overcomplicated it and overemphasized it to the point that even a person who was sick could not receive refreshing or healing, could not be healed on the Sabbath day. You see, they had made the Sabbath day no longer a day of refreshing, but rather a day of many burdens and guilt. And they had made the Sabbath day no longer a day of remembering God, but a day of remembering many, many rules. There were pages and pages and pages of rules that had been added to the Shabbat traditions, things that they were allowed to do and things that they weren't allowed to do. If you were a scribe, you couldn't carry a pen on Shabbat. If you were a musician, you couldn't carry your instrument on Shabbat. 
if you had something in one hand and you tossed it, you could only catch it in that hand. You could not catch it in the other hand. That would be breaking Shabbat. There were a, a number of rules. There were rules about how many steps you could walk on Shabbat. And so there were all of these many chapters and verses of rules about keeping the Sabbath. And it became this, this thing where you had so many rules to remember, so much to try to, to keep track of. Probably a good comparison or illustration for us today would be our tax law. It's incredibly complicated, so complicated that many people hire someone to do their taxes because they're afraid that they'll break one of these laws and get into a lot of trouble. And as stressful as it might be to do your taxes and pay your taxes each year when it comes tax time, it was that stressful for the people to keep the Sabbath. And it's for that reason, it's no surprise that when Jesus saw the people, Matthew chapter 9, verse 36 tells us that when he saw them, he saw tired masses. This is what it says. When he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. They fainted and they were scattered abroad. And the word for faint means they were, they were worn out or exhausted. It was someone fainting just out of absolute exhaustion. And, and it's like someone being beaten down, just, just so beaten down. And the word scattered means that they were thrown down. They were thrown out. And so if they hadn't passed out on their own, if they hadn't fainted on their own accord because of the great weight put upon them, they had been tossed down like people without a shepherd. And Jesus sees that the shepherds that they have, that the spiritual leaders that they have, have put so many rules and laws on them, have emphasized the rules and the laws of Sabbath and all of the other things about the temple and about worshiping God because God had put so much on them that they were exhausted. They were soul tired. You see, they weren't making decisions based on what was good for the people, but rather what was best for the rules, the rules that they had made up, by the way. You see, there's a key difference. Jesus says to them in this passage, he says, man was not made to keep the Sabbath. Rather, Sabbath was made for man. This wasn't about the Sabbath. It was about remembering God and refreshing man. But you've made it about the wrong thing. You've gotten the cart before the horse. You have missed the whole purpose of this thing. And because of that, it has become bothersome and toilsome. It, it's, become, it's become hard when it really should be a blessing. Recently, I uh, listened to an interview of one of the chief technology officers at YouTube, and they noticed, uh, they made a key change several years ago. They noticed that there were videos that got a lot of clicks. And so the videos that got lots of clicks or lots of, of plays or starts of plays, they ranked higher in, in their search results. And so if you went to YouTube and you searched how to change out the alternator in your car, you would get a lot of, of results that had gotten lots of clicks. But they recognized that just because something made the promise that had the title of how to change the alternator in your car, it may not be very helpful. And so instead of watching how, what, how many clicks a video got and determining where it should fall in search, they, did, they started watching how many hours or how much time of the video was watched. And so the more a video was watched, the more helpful or truly entertaining it must be. Because if you clicked on something and it wasn't helpful, you wouldn't keep watching it. You'd stop and you'd go look for something else. And so when they changed that key metric, it made the results on YouTube, it made their platform that much better. What happened to the Pharisees is they stopped looking at 
what was good for the people, and they focused solely on what was good for the law. And because they were focused on the wrong things, the people ended up being tired, scattered abroad, exhausted. And right now in our culture, people are exhausted. They are soul tired because we have focused on the wrong things. We have focused on the wrong stuff. We focused on things that don't make us, that don't refresh us. They make us more tired. They don't give life. They bring exhaustion. Some of you, you're incredibly tired because you are focused on the wrong things. You're focused on things that if you have them, maybe then you'll be happy. If you can get that item, if you can get that house, if you can go on that trip, and you're working towards this thing that's out there that hopefully you can achieve. Some of you, you go on vacations hoping that it's going to refresh you, and you come back from vacation more tired than when you went on vacation. You go on vacations that, that you, it takes you a month to get caught back up on your sleep or on your rest. You go on vacations that take you a year of overtime to pay off, and that isn't refreshing at all. It's actually leading to greater exhaustion. Now, I'm all for vacations, and I'm all for taking time off, but if we're looking at it in the wrong way, we get the purpose wrong, we'll only be more tired. It'll only bring more exhaustion. It will not give life. You see, when we focus on those things of greed and materialism and, and, and experiences, when we try to recreate utopia, when we try to recreate the perfect Garden of Eden experience in our own strength, in our own steam, those finish lines that we are running after constantly get farther and farther away. They keep moving. And what a pattern of stopping or ceasing every week does is it forces you forces us to trust on trust in God to give us rest and to experience refreshing. A pattern of stopping every week forces us to take it out of our hands and place it in God's hands to recognize that God I can't recreate that that garden perfection utopia experience I can't recreate the thing that I am longing after God it's in your hands and so I'm going to I'm going to step back and place it in your hands. John Mark Comer has said that practicing Sabbath allows our souls to catch up with our body. It gives us the opportunity to, to rest physically so that our soul can catch up with all of the things that we have been striving after. Now, it's important for, for me to, to note here that putting a holy pattern in place of, of taking a day to rest and stop will do you no good if you're not trusting Jesus with it. In this passage, when the Pharisees take issue with the disciples, Jesus calls himself the Lord of the Sabbath. Now, this is interesting because Mark is trying to, to show us that Jesus is the Son of God. And so, so far in his account of Jesus' life, he's told us in Mark 1, verse 1, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. In verse 3 of chapter 1, he says that he's the Lord. In verses 7 and 8 of chapter 1, he says he's mightier than John the Baptist. Uh, in verse 11 of chapter 1, we have God the Father speaking from heaven and saying, This is my beloved Son and whom I am well 
pleased. In chapter 1, we see that Jesus becomes the first preacher of the gospel message that he's come to deliver. And Mark 1, 24, even the demons, when they encounter Jesus, they recognize him as the Holy One from God. And so Jesus has been given these titles, the, these, these names, but here Jesus calls himself the Lord of the Sabbath. Now, Jesus is speaking to a group of people who have made Sabbath the priority. They've put Sabbath first. They've put Sabbath in front of what truly matters. And so Jesus is speaking to these people who have made Sabbath a God, who have made the Sabbath rules their God. He's speaking to them, and he points out their hypocrisy first by talking about how David, who was one of their greatest kings, that he didn't obey this. And then he says... I am more than just like David. He doesn't set that up as, a, as an example of how, well, you, you give David a pass, so you should give me a pass. He doesn't set up like, you, will, you, you overlook what David did, so you should overlook what I did. No, he goes beyond that. He says, I am greater than David. I am the Lord of the Sabbath. I'm not only greater than David, and I should get a pass from the Sabbath. I am the Lord of the Sabbath, so I am over the Sabbath. And this is huge. Because the people had made a God out of the Sabbath. They had put that before God. And Jesus is saying, I and I alone should be in that spot. Jesus was saying, I am God. Now for us today, most likely you haven't made a God out of Sabbath rules or Sabbath laws. But there's something in your life that you have made God. There's something in your life that you have made the, the preeminent, primary, utmost, most important thing. And the only one who should sit in that seat is God. The Sabbath is about remembering God. But you cannot remember what you have not recognized. And the Sabbath will do you no good in remembering who God is if God isn't God to you. The people were not getting any benefit out of Sabbath because they didn't recognize who God Jesus says, I am that God. I am the God that the Sabbath is supposed to point to. Do I think it would be helpful for you to have a weekly day off where you thought on good things and you were refreshed? Absolutely. But it will matter none if you don't recognize that Jesus is Lord because you can't remember what you haven't first recognized. For the Pharisees, the Sabbath laws needed to bow before King Jesus, who is the Lord. For us, maybe it's money or pleasure or status. What is the thing that has the preeminence or the priority in your life? It must bow to Jesus. I don't know what you're focused on, but a day off will not fix that. Only recognizing Jesus as king will fix that. But when you focus your eyes on Jesus, a day off to remember that and be refreshed is incredibly powerful. Now for me, taking a day to stop is hard because it feels like there's so much writing on the work that needs to be done. For me, the reminder that God is in control, even while there's plenty of work that needs to be done, the, the 
best thing I can do is put that in God's hand and trust him with it and recognize that he can deal with it better than I can. And then I'll be refreshed to play a role when he asks me to be a part of it. That's the struggle for me, is to step away from the work to leave it in God's hands, to step back and let God take control. That's my struggle. But really the message that I need to hear is the same one that we find in the gospel. Because the gospel tells us that our sin is too much for us to handle. That all of our efforts and all of our righteousness and all of our good deeds are nothing in comparison with the sins that we have committed and that we can work 24-7, 365 for our entire lives and for all of eternity and not undo our sin. But Jesus comes to us and offers to take our sin. In Matthew eleven twenty eight, Jesus said, Come unto me, all of you who are weary, all of you who are tired, all of you that are laboring under a heavy burden, come to me and I will give you rest. You see, the gospel message is that Jesus has come to take the burden of our sin, the toil and the curse of our sin. He has come to take it and to give us his righteousness. He has come to take our brokenness and give us his wholeness. He's come to take our weary efforts, our short, falling efforts. He's come to take them and give us the completion of the work that he accomplished for us on the cross. And what is the story of the cross? It's the story of Jesus on the final day, on the sixth day of the week, dying on the cross and then being buried in a tomb and spending the seventh day, his body at rest. But then on the eighth day, the first day of the next week, Jesus rose again and began his new work in us. The reason we are so tired is because we are focusing on things that do not give life. But Jesus is the one who came to give us for this reason that the early church father Augustine said our souls are restless until they find rest in thee and a holy pattern of Sabbath should simply remind us that he is the one in whom we find our rest father I pray that you will work in the hearts of each person who watches this that they will see that only when we focus on you, only when we trust in you, can we find our rest, that we will remain restless, that we will remain exhausted until we put our hope and trust in you. We pray this in your name.